So this afternoon, we're going to talk about the second and third commandment. So what is the second command? Uh, let me present first. Um, what's happening? Oh, there. The topic outline, no? First, we talk about the name of God and then to honor God's name and then a Christian, what is a Christian name? And then the Lord's Day and then Sunday Mass and rest. Lastly, public worship and freedom. The second commandment of God is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So this commandment prescribes respect for the Lord's name and commands us to honor the name of God. We say that a name expresses a person's essence and identity and the meaning of this person's life. But when you think of it, but we do, we do not choose our name. We're given our name and we have a name even before we have lived our life, maybe we can say that it's a name that our parents hope we will be, and that is how they choose that name. But God has a name. He is not an anonymous force. However, God cannot be grasped through human concepts. No idea can represent him and no name can exhaustively express the divine essence because God is God and he is so much be, so much bigger than 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 us than the language we have created than the words we have formed so God is so much bigger than this he is the creator so no idea and no word or name can exhaustively express his essence. But so that we can call him and speak to him, in the Old Testament, he revealed himself progressively and under different names to his people. So if you remember in, well, in one of the movies about uh, the Ten Commandments. So the name he revealed to Moses indicates that God is being in essence. The fullness of being and of every perfection. So there, what is that name that he called himself by during the Ten Well, when he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. He said, I am who am. And he said, say these to the people of Israel. I am. Which means is has sent me to you. So this is my name forever. So this is the name by which God calls himself. I am. Because if you really think of it, I am really, well, encompasses no? his essence and fullness of being. He is who he is. That's it. He is. So, but out of respect for God's holiness, the people of Israel 
never pronounced his name. They never called him I am. <laughs> they replaced that name by which he called himself by the title Lord. So uh, this is uh, new to me also. So the word Lord, Adonai, Kyrios, which Adonai is a Hebrew word. Kyrios is a Greek word where Lord, for us, we understand what Lord means. So th this is a word which the Israelites decided to call God. They didn't feel um, well enough to use the name which God called himself by, I am. So they, they replaced that word, I am, with the word Lord. So when we say Lord Jesus Christ, so there, that's what we do, essentially. So there, there are other names for God in the Old Testament. So there is Elohim, which means the plenitude, plenitude or grandeur. And El Sadai, which means mighty and omnipotent. Christ, well, God makes known the mystery of his intimate Trinitarian life. <clears throat> so that there is a single God in three persons, that there is a Father, a Son, and Holy Spirit. So Christ teaches us to call God Father or Abba in Hebrew, which is the familiar way of saying Father in Hebrew, Abba. So God is the Father of Christ and our Father, but not in the same way. Jesus is the only begotten son and we are adopted children because we are not adopted children. We truly are children. It's written in the Gospels. Brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit has sent into our hearts. So in our Father we pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the term hallowed means to recognize the name as holy and to treat it in a holy way. This is what we do when we adore, praise, or give thanks to God. It could also mean that we ask that his name be hallowed through us. That is, that we give him glory by our life and that others may glorify him. Respecting the name of God also calls for respecting the name of the Blessed Virgin Mary and of the saints and respecting holy things where God is present in one way or another, especially the Holy Eucharist, the real presence among us of Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Holy Trinity. So we don't just honor God's name, but we also honor and respect the name of his mother, of the saints, and the other holy things, because God is in them in one way or another. So God forbids 
the improper use of God's name, especially blasphemy. So what is blasphemy? Blasphemy consists in uttering against God words of hatred, reproach, or defiance. It is a grave sin if it is done with full knowledge and full consent. It is a grave matter to blaspheme against God. So it is blasphemous to make use of God's name to cover up criminal practices, to reduce peoples to servitude, to torture persons, or put them to death. It also forbids false oaths. Taking an oath is to take God as a witness for what is affirmed. For example, to guarantee a promise or a testimony, to prove the innocence of a person unjustly accused or suspected, or to put an end to litigation and controversy. So I think, uh, well, visually we see this when, when the, a new president is sworn into office, they place their right hand on, on the Bible before they are sworn into um, the presidency or the vice presidency. And then when witnesses also appear in court, before they give their testimony, they, uh, they place their hand on the Bible and promise to say the truth, the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, So, so there are circumstances when an oath is lawful, if it is taken in truth and justice, and it is necessary, as may be the case in a trial or when somebody is assuming office. Otherwise, the Lord teaches us not to swear. He has said, let what you say be simply yes or no. Let us not swear on the on God's name without the need to cite the name of God. If we don't have to, then let us not do that. Uh, man is the only creature on earth that God has willed for, for its own sake. He is not something but someone. He, a person. So he alone is called to share by knowledge and love in God's own life. It was for this end that he was created, and this is the fundamental reason for man's dignity. So in baptism, on being made a child of God, each person receives a name that represents his or her unrepeatable singularity before God and before others. So baptism is called, it's also called christening. So a Christian or a follower of Jesus Christ is the proper name of every baptized person who has received the call to identify himself with the Lord. So God calls each one of us, each person by name. He loves each one personally. So St. Paul said, Christ 
loved me and gave himself up for me. And he expects from everyone a loving response. He has said, he has said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Calmly, that divine admonition which fills the soul with disquiet, and which at the same time tastes as sweet as honey from the comb. So I have redeemed you and called you by your name. You are mine. Let us not steal from God what belongs to, to him. A God who has loved us to the point of dying for us, who has chosen us from all eternity before the creation of the world so that we may be holy in his presence. So now we go to the third commandment. So what is the third commandment? The third commandment is keep the day of the Lord and all feast days holy. So we read in Genesis, the work of creation, that he, our Lord, God, may, uh, created the world in six days. And at the end, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all his work of creation. Even God rested from work. So that should give us mothers and wives reason no, to, to say that I also have to rest, that it is right to take our arrest from work. In the Old Testament, God decreed that the seventh day of the week should be holy. So it, it is a day set off and distinct from the others. So man who was called to participate in the creative power of God and who perfect the world through his work also has to cease working on the seventh day in order to dedicate it to divine worship and to rest. Before the coming of Jesus Christ, the seventh day was the Sabbath. So I think the Sabbath is for us the Saturday. And the first day of the week for, for the Jews is Monday. So I remember when, well, when I was in Dubai, I think we arrived on a Friday. When we entered the hotel Friday evening, there were a lot of people because Saturday was a holiday, I think. It was a rest day. So Friday night, they felt that it was the time for them to go out. But if you think of it, they're not, they're not Jews or Christians, they're Muslims. I don't know why. Maybe I have it. I made a mistake in my analogy. But there, no? Sunday for them is a work day.
maybe if they work five days, it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So Friday and Saturday is their rest day. Anyway. <clears throat> so seventh day was the Sabbath. But in the New Testament, the seventh day is Sunday, no? the day of rest. Dies Domini is the day of the Lord. Because... It is the day of the Lord's resurrection. So the Sabbath represented the end of creation. It is the day when Christ rest, when God rested. Sunday, on the other hand, represents the beginning of the new creation, which took place with Christ's resurrection. So that is why we keep Sunday um, holy and a day of rest. So we have always said no, that the Eucharist is the fountain and the summit of the life of the church. Why? Because the Eucharist is not just a piece of bread. It does not represent Christ. It is Christ himself. So that is what... Um, what Jesus Christ told his apostles, take this uh, during the last supper. He did not say take this in um, what in memory of me, to something that represents me. He said that it is his his flesh and it is his blood. So the Eucharist is the fountain and the summit of the life of the church. Sunday should be kept holy mainly by participating in the Holy Mass. So the church expressed the third commandment of the Decalogue concretely in the following decree. On Sundays and holidays of obligation, the faithful are bound to participate in the Mass. So outside of Sunday, obligation in the Philippines, are Christmas Day, December 25, and January 1, which is the solemnity of the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, and December 8, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. So those are the <clears throat> three holidays of obligation here for, for Catholics in the Philippines. So January 1 is not New Year. We don't go to, to church because it's a new year. It's, it's the first day of the new year. We go to church because we, uh, it is the solemnity of Mary, the mother of God. So that is the title that we give to the celebration of the Mass during January 1. So the precept of participating in the Mass is satisfied by assistance at a Mass, which is celebrated anywhere in a Catholic rite, either on the holiday or on the evening of the preceding day. So the faithful are obliged to participate in the Eucharist on days of obligation, unless excused for a serious reason, for example, illness, well, now we can count the pandemic, 
and care of infants so or dispensed by their own pastor. So those who deliberately fail in this obligation commit a grave sin. So just as God rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done, for human life has a rhythm of work and rest. The institution, the Lord's Day, helps everyone enjoy adequate rest and leisure to cultivate their familial, cultural, social, and religious lives. So on Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are to refrain from work and activities that hinder the worship owed to God. So the joy proper to the Lord's Day and the appropriate relaxation of mind and body. So this constitutes a serious obligation, as is that of sanctifying holy days. However, a more important duty of justice or charity can excuse one from obligation of Sunday rest. So important duty of justice, well, well we see doctors who have to be at the hospital because it's their duty. No? The hospital has to be staffed and manned 24 hours a day, seven days a week the police officers as well. We have to be very particular about this also with our household health. And we have to make sure that they have the time to go to mass. They have the means to go to mass. And then maybe we can be more creative and see how Sunday can also be a rest day for them. So in respecting religious liberty and the common good of all, Christians should seek recognition of Sundays and the church's holy days as legal holidays. They have to give everyone a public example of prayer, respect, and joy, and defend their traditions as a precious contribution to the spiritual life of society. So this is something that, uh, well, we are enjoying now. But I suppose it was the work of generations before us where Christmas is a holiday, where Holy Week is a holiday, where we where, when to work is a no-no or to open a store is a, uh, a, a big no. no. People will frown at you and will not understand where you are doing that. So these things um, uh, were worked on by um, our grandparents or our great-grandparents. This um, observance, holy days in, uh, civil, civil, in civil society. So every Christian should avoid making unnecessary demands on others that would hinder them from observing the Lord's Day. So we now go to public worship and freedom. So at present, in certain countries or maybe in many countries, a fairly widespread basis attitude and view of religion uh, as a private matter which should have no public and social manifestations, no? 
So what are examples of this? Well, we see this more and more in uh, Western countries. And slowly, it's creeping into our country. I remember one of the senators, Marcoleta, <laughs> I was reading. He was the one who introduced a bill to remove the crucifix from, from schoolrooms. No? So that's a, a laces attitude. No? Um, uh, saying uh, we have to divorce religion from, from, from the state. And I think even in the U.S. also, uh, removing uh, what? The Ten Commandments from outside a judiciary building, all this, um, what else? Making you feel, feel guilty if you send a Merry Christmas, Christmas card um, saying, uh, why are you sending that? We are not Catholics, no? You, it's better if we just say happy holidays. But what's the holiday about? What's the reason for the season, no? So those, these things we see, it creeping in. Maybe it's already inside, no? So Christian doctrine, on the contrary, teaches that people must be able to freely profess their religion in private and in public. It is inscribed, God inscribed it in man's heart that we have to give God exterior, visible, public worship. I can imagine no? during Holy Week, some people will not understand why do they have to hold the procession on the streets no and uh, stop the flow of traffic some may not understand that no? of course worshiping god is first of all a private act but people need to be able to manifest it exteriorly because the human spirit needs to use ethereal things as signs by means of which it is prompted to carry out the spiritual acts that unite it to God. People need to be free to profess religion, not only exteriorly, but also socially. So that is with others. Because, well, because of the social nature of man requires that he profess his religion in community. Injury is done to the human person if the free exercise of religion is denied in society when the just requirements of public order do not so require. The government, therefore, ought indeed to take into account the religious life of the people and show it favor, since the function of government is to make provision for the common welfare. So there is a social and civil right to freedom in religious matters. So society and the government cannot hinder anyone from acting in this area in accord with the dictates of their conscience, whether in private or in public, while respecting just limits derived from the requirements of the common good 
such as public order and public morality. So every person is obliged in conscience to seek the true religion and to adhere to it. In this search, they can receive the help of others. But nobody should be forced either to act against their convictions or prevented from acting in accord with their conscience in religious matters. So, so embracing, embracing the faith no? or professing a faith or a religion and practicing it is always and will always have to be a free act. Your task as a Christian is to help see Christ's love and freedom preside over all aspects of modern life, culture and economy, work and rest, family life, and social relations. Thank you.